What is up, Lint Lucid Podcast fans? We are happy to have you back for season eight of the show. This season is brought to you by Vera Health, an amazing cannabis company located right here in Denver, Colorado. Visit our website, litlucid.com, to learn more about our sponsors and to view our previous episodes. And if you're enjoying the show, be sure to share with a friend and give us a review on your favorite platform. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Lucy and Jared. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here recording another episode. Today, we have on our show Rit Battenberg III. He is the founding partner and CIO with Clientele Capital Management Group. What's up, Rick? What is going on, guys? Not a lot. A beautiful day here in Colorado. Yes, it is. We're very, uh, very lucky to live in this state, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yep. And we're so thrilled to have you on. I think um, you know people are going to be pleasantly surprised to hear about your background. I think it's kind of a new area that we're getting into for the Lit and Lucid podcast. So super, uh, super excited for what you have to share today, Rick. Sure. Yeah, I hope I live up to the hype. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rick is the founding partner and CIO of Clientele Capital Management Group. Uh, this was the first of its kind. It's a venture capital venture capital group. Um, They are a vertical conglomerate of cannabis companies that are licensed legally through funding with the MED and the SEC. Um, So for me, I don't really know much about, you know, venture capitalism, but I have a feeling that Rick's going to tell us a lot about that. And then through that company, he kind of started it with his dad back in 2015, where they saw some opportunity in the emerging cannabis market. And they're also now on the board of directors and own The Clear, which is a company that started back in 2013 in California and is now moved on to Arizona, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Michigan. And we recently had the opportunity to try some Clear cannabis products. So we thought it would be a great time to have Rick on the show. Well, that was a that was a wonderful introduction. I uh, I appreciate it. Um, so so let me give you a little a little background on uh, kind of how we got started. So uh, I was a Merrill Lynch private equity guy, um, a head of uh, forming a venture capital firm. Um, so what that meant was I did all of the IPOs and secondary issue buys um, for Merrill Lynch onto our portfolio. So I had a very traditional finance background. Um, that when, uh, in 2015, I was living here in Colorado and, um, we saw a way to fund the cannabis industry. Um, it's really our, our market advantage was I, I was looking at the cannabis space and I think we could all kind of see the writing on the wall on what was going to happen. And we went, well, okay, well, how are we going to take advantage of the, um, you know, the, the budding market, if you will. Uh, and the way that, you know, I had a competitive advantage was we figured out a way to structure capital coming into the cannabis market that gave us a unique advantage, which was the ability to have investors that are not licensed um, have a financial upside in uh, licensed entities in the, in the cannabis space, which meant um, we were able to use what's called a blind pool private equity venture fund to uh, raise capital into. So we ended up raising about $11.2 million into a blind pool. Uh, that we use to allocate across the supply chain of cannabis. Uh, meaning, you know, we knew that we want to be in cannabis. I knew that I wanted to be involved in cannabis. I did not know what was going to happen in the cannabis space because the regulatory environment was so unstable and still is so unstable. What really is important is your ability to be nimble uh, and your ability to, to allocate capital where it's needed to, to grow. 
um, which was really our competitive advantage, was uh, our ability to allocate capital in different components of the supply chain that we felt was the most uh, the, the most meaningful to our investors. Um, and where that ended up is uh, in 2017, did a full acquisition of the Clear. Um, and the reason we, we acquired the Clear was really because of its pedigree and its distribution. So really good uh, brand that's, you know, brought by Chris Barone. Barone is a buddy of mine still, and he, uh, he still owns a, a percentage of the company. Uh, and it serves as our chief science officer. He's had, you know, heavily involved in the new product development. Um, and, you know, we really just wanted to be good shepherds of the brand and put the Clear in as many people's hands as possible. Um, the venture capital side about this is really about building the traditional business enterprise that's needed to facilitate the safe distribution of THC and CBD across uh, the U.S. and uh, uh, Canada here. So really what that means is that creating the infrastructure that's needed to facilitate that is really just traditional business enterprise, meaning your ability to sell and distribute a product safely. Yeah, absolutely. And as you know, the cannabis industry expands, I know um, distribution kind of came out of left field for a lot of folks. And it, I think it was something that definitely was not well capitalized by a lot of companies. So I think you guys were kind of ahead of the game by looking at, you know, how do we how do we look at distribution long term? Because that is pretty much, you know, the name of the, of the game in the long term, you have to get products in people's hands. You got it exactly. You got it exactly, my friend. Got to, got to have an emotional relationship with a specific demographic and solve that problem for them, and then have the actual ability to put that product in the consumer's hands. And that's really what drives my buying decisions when I'm evaluating companies. Uh, is is three main components, right? One, it does the CEO have the ability to do everyone in the company's job better than they can do it? Okay. Uh, number two is, does the CEO have an emotional relationship with the success or failure of the company? And number three is, do they know their numbers? Meaning, do you understand how you make money and do you understand how your gross margins and net margins are affected by your behavior and your, um, let's call it your overall business activities? So that's kind of the first three things that we look for when we're evaluating potential investments and we're evaluating potential acquisition targets. And I like that, you know, was that something that was developed early on? Your guys is, you know, you, let me backtrack here. You talked about a, a blind pool integration and the way I kind of envision this, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is essentially just a pool of money you guys are pulling from to invest in different things versus, you know, somebody coming to you and saying, you know, here's X amount of dollars. I want to invest in a dispensary or I want to invest in this vape cartridge. You guys kind of left your options open versus, um, you know, picking something specific. Is that correct? That's correct. And so, and so the reason that that is significant and the reason that I even have a company today is really because of the trust that was afforded to me by those people that, that wrote the checks. And the reason for that is that because of the nature of the structure of the, of the financial instrument I used to, to raise the money, it gave us a lot of flexibility on what we were spending the money on. Now, what's, what's interesting is that also required that financial instrument to be incred incredibly flexible from a regulatory perspective, meaning that we really had cards launched to invest in whatever parts that we wanted to invest in, which made our, our ability to be very flexible and, and nimble as far as where we're spending our money. Uh, but it also took a tremendous amount of trust from our investors to write us checks that, uh, you know, they had no control over the asset. They had no idea what was going to be bought with it, why they, why we were buying it, um, or when they were going to see their money back. Um, which took a tremendous amount of trust. And I can take you that, I can tell you that I take that trust very, very seriously from our investors. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, those, the people that, that made it possible for me to have a company are my, my dearest friends and my, 
you know, people that are very, very close to me. Uh, and so I will forever be grateful of the trust that they afforded me to allow us that flexibility to, um, to really allocate capital in a meaningful way that has put us in the position that we're in today. Yeah, that's great. Um, I do hear a lot of business owners, they're talking about, you know, especially the last you know three years or so, a lot of them are talking about the art of the pivot. And that's because, you know, the cannabis industry does change so quickly. And, you know, you've mentioned a few times the regulatory environment changes pretty rapidly as well. That I think if you do have capital that's stagnated in certain silos um, where you can't get a hold of it, where you can't pivot, where you can't allocate, you know, um, money in areas with uh, tremendous growth, that's new growth in the last couple months, um, you're kind of bound to, to get stuck in the mud. And so I think that's a super... You got it exactly. You yeah. got it exactly. And, and really, I think that my... my um... My biggest value, I guess, the, one of the best decisions I made was, you know, going through the effort of raising this money very difficult was, was the pitch was really difficult. So really, I was asking for a blank check, and I was asking, you know, to, to have their money for as long as I needed it to spend it on whatever I wanted. And um, that took a tremendous amount of trust. Um, and so that made raising the money extremely difficult. Um, so, but, but that's paying dividends now in the way that our flexibility and our capital allocation uh, has allowed us to really uh, dial in where we want to be in the in the supply chain, and, and really where we landed is with brands and distribution. Um, nice. Really, because that's where the future of the space is. Uh, it's really about establishing that emotional connection to a specific demographic and solving the problem for them, while simultaneously getting distribution uh, into uh, uh, dispensaries that that uh, can carry the product. So, um, not rocket science. This is really con- basic consumer packaged goods. Uh, a sentiment, the only uh, kind of hiccup or I guess the little uh, uh, wrinkle is that you know, we're in a highly regulatory environment where you have to violate the Interstate Trade Commerce Act by moving QC over state lines. So it makes it extraordinarily difficult to establish a brand without moving QC over state lines to develop clean, reliable, consistent products. So um, that means that having a uh, company that's able to do that requires um, a fairly extreme amount of financial structuring uh, and scale to, to achieve that, um, which is something that we have very specifically uh, gone after here, especially in the last two years after, uh, after acquiring Clear. Yeah. So explain to us a little bit more about, you know, what opportunity you saw with the Clear. You know, when you acquired them, were they in all of these different states or did you guys kind of help them move that forward? You know, they were in a few states, um, you know, Really what it came down to is, is nothing more complicated than uh, we really were impressed by the product and we were impressed by Chris Barone. Um, you know, the product itself is, is superior. And, and I'm not really going to sit here and, and try to argue that we're the best or the, or the or whatever. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that you give your customer what they're asking for. Uh, and the clear is very good at, you know, we're very good at giving the customer what they ask for, which is very high potency, very clean, uh, tasty distillate. Um and doing that reliably and consistently is, is so much more important than, like, let's been say, being, quote-unquote, the best. Not not being the best. Mm-hmm. I can make a strong argument that maybe we are or we aren't, but it really doesn't matter. What matters is uh, giving clean, reliable, consistent products that is safe to people in, uh, in markets that, that are, exceed the, the state lines. Um, and so, really, when we went to Chris, the, the sales pitch was, hey, you know, we know how to take a product to market. We have the traditional business enterprise in the background uh, to really take this to the next level and bring the clear to as many people as we possibly can. Um, and, you know, 
Chris Barone, uh, he agreed with us. He, he thought that we, you know we had uh, the, the skill sets and the infrastructure to, to take this brand to the next level and really become uh, the Coca-Cola of cannabis, which is, make no mistake, that's the goal, is really to deliver uh, a clean, reliable, consistent product, whether you're buying that in Michigan or Oklahoma, Colorado, Arizona, Washington, uh, um, Oregon, or California, or, or Arizona. So uh, what that means is you get the same product. You know what it's going to do to you. You know how it's going to taste, and you know, uh, you know you can trust the brand because there's a throat to choke, and we are very willing to be that throat to choke, you know, to hold hold ourselves accountable to, uh, to delivering the product, uh, delivering a clean and, and consistent product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the natural transition with any new market is to, uh, you know, we talked about earlier establishing distribution, but first you have to have that brand established where consumers can trust that brand. And I can say being, you know, a consumer and being a part of the, uh, the industrial market here in, in Colorado, the clear was 100% established very early on as, you know, the go-to for distillates. And uh, maybe they weren't the first, I'm not sure, but they were definitely the first that people heard about. And I think that goes absolutely. a long way. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, I, and I take no uh, no credit for for the quality of the clear. Um, you know, Chris really did something special in, in Long Beach when he uh, when he invented distillate. Um, you know, and he's, and he's credited with that in Ed Webinsall's book. Um, he really invented a whole new category of cannabis. Um, yeah, and, and that really changed the scope of, of what we interpret as vape pens today. Is you know what what he was able to produce. Um, and so we really try to hold ourselves to a standard of, of excellence, knowing that we carry the torch of that responsibility of this of this product category. <laughs> uh, you know that the Lajas as to the, the product leader on what is the, the best distillate and, and what does that mean uh, to a consumer and to the industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think you know that's totally what people are going to be looking for. I'm already, you know, we have a couple brands we work with and they're trying to get licensure in other states. And um, it's a headache because, you know, you have to you have to take a lot of your processes and go to other states and maybe use, you know, a third party lab or the, the cultivation you have to work with because you don't have yeah. your own cultivation. And, you know, it really starts in one area. You have to totally, you know, develop your processes, develop pristine processes and you then take it. those processes and transfer them to other states. And then, like you mentioned, I mean, that's not just something that just happens. That's people. That's time. That's investment dollars that's a lot of work to take a product and translate it to another regulatory market well and i gotta tell you what you just described is why you call a venture capitalist um and that's you know the, those issues you just described to me is exactly what chris barone understood uh you know three years ago when he uh when he decided to work with rich and i um it's really because we have an expertise in those things uh and uh you know it's it's not about being, uh, you know, knowing everything. It's about knowing what you, what you, uh, where your weaknesses are, and finding people that are complementary to those weaknesses. And I can tell you that, you know, I did not come from the background of weed. You know, I came back to back from the background of hockey and finance. Um, you know, I got I got involved in the weed industry purely from the finance side. Um, and actually, as Trevor is our our publicist who's listening here, is going to laugh at me, but that was the. But when I got involved in weed, I was like, well, I'm not going to be involved in weed and not smoke weed. And I had never smoked weed, so I was like, <laughs> okay, well. I'm gonna I'm gonna start smoking weed, and what I did was I went and got a dab pen, and I just started smoking wax and shatter, and this is before we even owned the brand. Right? Oh I was goodness, getting involved from the finance side, 
And I was like, oh, this is what being high is. So I was just so high, you know, just ridiculously high. I had no idea. Uh, right? So I just started smoking dab tens because I was like, oh, this is what being high is. Because I, I didn't want to smoke flour. Yeah. Because uh, it, was, it was inconvenient to me and it smelled bad. So I was like, oh, I was smoking out of a dab pen. Um, except I started smoking like 95% pure shatter and whack. Oh, my gosh, right. yeah. Um, right, my, my concept of what being high was with the was completely different, I guess, from from that perspective. I, I didn't smoke things until I was 25, and I already owned a weed company. So um, my perspective on it was, was a little different. Yeah. Uh, coming with this completely brand new and really, really, I had never smoked illegal weed, ever. You know, so the reason I'm saying this is because I understood that my value add to this industry and what I can do to, to make this industry better was, you know, apply my diversity of skill set and information and then also it's about the humility of understanding that I was not the one that took this plant and got this plant to the to legalization. Mm-hmm. So being cognizant and, and aware of that and, and kind of paying reverence to that is important to me as well, which is why it's so important to me that, you know, Chris is involved in what we're doing and Chris is involved in product development. It's really out of respect and, and reverence of, of where this uh, brand and uh, where the plant has been. Yeah. And I think that's really important. We touch about that that point a lot on our podcast episodes that there is a cannabis culture that needs to be recognized and continue to move forward, as well as, you know, there is the need for the business side of things as well, because if you don't know business, obviously nobody's going to be making money. So you do have to kind of have a fine line between cannabis culture and business as well to make it a full success moving forward. Well, and again, and part of that is just understanding that we all have strengths and weaknesses. In, the, in, in, in anything we do. Oh, and that's absolutely. that. And cannabis is no different from that. And and unfortunately, neither is more valuable to the future of cannabis than, than the other. And really, the most valuable thing is understanding where we're, where our weaknesses and where our shortcomings are and being humility, have enough humility to really understand that there are people that know more than you and that they can help you if you're willing to be vulnerable with those people and you can actually have trust you know, vulnerability builds trust and trust builds relationships and relationships are what build empires. So our ability to have constructive and meaningful conversations with each other, whether that be in business or personally, is what allows us to grow as, as people and in businesses so that we can apply the diversity of skill set and information that is so broad and deep with a lot of these people that are involved in the cannabis space. Uh, it's really about utilizing those assets and, and understanding their value. There's a lot of there's a lot of animosity, I think, between those two groups of people, and that that is something that I really um, take it upon myself to bridge in the way that understanding that we are taking something that was shepherded through decades and decades before any of us on this podcast were born. Um, yeah, absolutely. Way before that. So so we have no, nobody, nobody has any right to, to claim that they've, uh, own something or, or that they that they've done something more for the plant. You know, if anything that I, I hope to be a good shepherd of the brand and the plants in the way that I know that what it's gonna take to bring this product to so many people that need it is going to take traditional business enterprise and a really good understanding of what it takes to uh, teach and educate people who need this plant who are afraid of it. Right, so there's a huge generation of baby boomers. There's a huge generation of of, uh, of people that are taking handfuls of pills 
that are, for religious reasons or other reasons, are extraordinarily afraid of this plant. Um, and and that is, it is horrible because I know the value that it's added to my life, um, and I know the value that it can add to so many people's lives if they're able to get through that fear. And the only way that we get through fear is through education uh, and vulnerability, um, which is really, you know, that's why it's so important that we, we take the responsibility of educating people very seriously about what this, what this plant is and what it isn't. Right. So, yeah, such strong words. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's um, switch gears a little bit. I know before this sto- uh, the show started, we were talking about kind of the global cannabis economy and your interest in that. Uh, do you guys have any plans to expand into Canada or maybe elsewhere? You know, so because because you told me that a lot of your listeners are entrepreneurs, I'm, I'll give you a little bit of color about um, the Canadian uh, um, market and kind of what happened in the Canadian market. So, um, you know, a lot of the valuations in the public side of the of, of the cannabis space were derived based on what we call discounted cash flow models. Uh, and um, future production of um, canopy space, meaning that the square footage of these large Canadian grows that were financed through traditional banking financing uh, and investment banks were able to build very large-scale grows uh, that they were not able to efficiently grow in because they didn't really know what they were doing. Um, so what happened in Canada was you had a lot of canopy that was built through traditional banking financing um, that was producing bad weed, that was poorly distributed through not enough dispensaries at a price that was three times what the black market was. So that created triggering uh, revenue projections. Uh, when that started to happen, you saw a lot of these Canadian traded companies come down and start trying to do what we call is buying revenue. Uh, and what that means is they were trying to do acquisition with paper and paper being the stock. So when they say they're going to do a paper deal, what we're saying is they're going to acquire the company for stock uh, and then some cash. Now, what happened is that they were coming down with no operational expertise and no real help. So if you look at the performance of the acquisitions of a lot of these big publicly traded companies that you're familiar with, the acquisitions uh, have either been flat or have, have underperformed specifically because, uh, you know, they came down and uh, gave the operators down here in the U.S. golden handcuffs and then just enough money to buy a Ferrari but not make the payments. Um so that created a bubble that uh, eventually popped as revenue and, and quarterly, quarterly reports started to come out about what their actual revenues were. Uh, everyone panicked and the retail market dumped the stock. Um, so from a global perspective, Canada is not that interesting from a, let's call it a potential market, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because the population of Canada is roughly the same size as New York State, which makes the oh, distribution wow. of the population, the amount of dispensaries, and the overall cost, including taxes, a very, um, let's call it a disenfranchised place to try to start a business. Now, so why true. Canada is injury, injury, sorry, why Canada is interesting to me uh, is the global access point to actually um, enter new countries because we can actually export CHC from Canada. So, uh, you know, I'm in talk with some of the major major um, producers in Canada um, as a way of bringing the clear up to Canada as a licensee. Uh, so. Uh, without violating any kind of um, non-disclosure agreements and in talks with some of the larger uh, firms up there about bringing the clear into Canada. But uh, I really want to make note that it's not necessarily because Canada is such a great market, because it's not. Um, what is a great market is the world um, and the ability to, to export THC as finished goods 
uh, to open countries like uh, Germany, Japan, uh, and then uh, uh, a few others that, that we have, some Jamaica, actually, ironically, looking at nice. as well. That's so, very interesting. Uh, from, a, from a global economics perspective, um, THC out of Canada, I think it's going to be uh, going to be a big player for us as far as uh, strategic, uh, strategic play. I love that. Yeah, I haven't even thought about that angle yet. But thanks for kind of like setting the stage because that is something that that I think it's been on all of our minds. I think all of us have probably like watched the pot stocks, you know, jump up to crazy high numbers and then jump down to uh, nothing pretty much. Um, and so well, I think there's a lot of questions that's there. That's for a few reasons, right? So one is they come down and they were trying to do these these stock deals, right? When you're trying to do these stock deals, what happens is that you're buying revenue, which means you're deleting uh, your own stocks. Um, and when that happens, you either support that with the revenue to your acquisition, right? Or if you underperform, well, now you've diluted your stock and you don't have the revenue, exactly, right? Yeah. Which is going to further drive your stock price down. Now, yeah. what's interesting is that the stock price has gotten crushed so bad that these companies have actually raised more money than they're worth, right? And now they're, they're overweight and they need to raise more money, but they need to raise as much money as they're worth, uh, which creates this kind of upside-down um, um, issue with a lot of these big Canadian LPs. So, you know, expect some big kind of blockbuster roll-up deals you're going to see out of Canada over the next year. Uh, you're going to see some pretty big M&A deals, but unfortunately, it's <laughs> probably not going to be the type of M&A deal if anybody likes it over the time that you know, everybody's exiting for half of what they were in for. Absolutely, yeah. Does that affect your guys' business model at all, or do you guys just kind of play on the outskirts and, and kind of stay clear of... Well, you know, um, I, did, I did fund uh, a couple of deals in Canada. Uh, luckily, as, as you may imagine, I've kind of had this perspective for, for a while, and um, I'm very lucky that uh, I've had a great publicist. Uh, Grasslands has been having me on, on with uh, some fairly large publications for the last you know, two years or so. So um, I've kind of been singing the song for a while. Um, yeah. so we've taken very defensive positions as far as that's concerned, as far as uh, Canadian interests. You know, most of our holdings are private. Um, I do, you know, we do have some public interest, but um, for the most part, those are strategic positions. Um, so we haven't really been affected too much by that. This is really the biggest loser, as it almost always is in most markets and growth markets, is the retail market. Um, you know, yeah. people that we're buying on uh, the hysteria of being involved in a pop stock um, was really the biggest loser. The, we call it the, the bag holders, people that are holding on to the, the, the stock after it had already peaked and, and started to correct. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, that's a great perspective. Yeah, I don't think we've even touched on the global market mainly because because of what's happened in Canada. It's all just been kind of going wayside a little bit. And um, so I think that perspective really is super nice. So thank you for that, Rick. Let's transition, well, though. Well, I'm here to help, my friend. <laughs> that <laughs> you was are, very helpful. <laughs> yeah, super helpful. And I think some listeners are going to definitely probably backtrack and listen to that a couple times because there's, uh, there's some so, really good information so there. One exciting thing I want to plug before we uh, before we wrap up is uh, you know we are doing the Infused Products Conference um, toward the end of this uh, or sorry May 14th and 15th I believe uh, maybe Trevor Trevor's can uh, verify that for me but um, we uh, we kind of bring together some of the major industry professionals in the world um, who are extraction experts and uh, infused products uh, um, experts bring together basically the brightest minds in this space um, into a small conference in Denver. Uh, last year it was at LAX. Uh, last year, this year it'll be, in, uh, it'll be here in Denver. And um, at that, um, we are doing a pitch competition for THC and CBD innovation in cannabis space. 
is a $25,000 grand prize, um, along with um, the ability to develop a product with uh, the Clear, and they're going to help with uh, distribution and um, and product development. So cash prize and and the ability to to work with the Clear. So uh, we're really amazing. excited about that. I'm very much about you know inspiring other people to to find a way to to um, have innovation in, in cannabis and. You know, I, I'm very, uh, very much a big believer in, in people that are willing to uh, to do the work. You know, there's a there's an old Chris Rock joke that uh, you know, if you're if you're out, and you're standing next to your hood in your car up, and the cars broke down, and everybody whips past you. But as soon as you get out and start pushing the car, all of a sudden people are jumping out to help you. So, um, That's so true. <laughs> you know, I, I bear that in mind, and um, you know, I I, I want to help the guy that you know the guys and gals that are that are pushing the car. So. I put our, my money where my mouth is, and we're putting some uh, putting the cash prize up, and then you know I'm looking for the the people that will sooner die than fail. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So if you are an entrepreneur and you love to get your hands dirty, definitely uh, definitely stay tuned for for mid May for this uh, this innovation prize. That's exciting. We'll be sure to share more information too with the episode drop. Yeah, that's the, that's really great. Um, so let's just finish up with some advice for some young entrepreneurs looking to enter the industry, or just some general cannabis business advice. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of hear this back to. You, uh, I'm not sure if we were already on the air if it was before, but you know, there's three things I look for in a cannabis space, right? One is that uh, they have an emotional relationship with their success or failure. Uh, and then number two is that they have the ability to do everyone's job in the company better than them, um, which means that you can do everyone's job in the company, and you can step in if you need to. Uh, and then number three is know your numbers. Understand how you make money. Really understand. Understand down to every product you sell, how much your margin is on it, how much it costs you to make that product, and how you plan to market and sell it. And really understand your numbers. Those are the three things that I really look for when we're, we're considering funding a deal. Um, and if those three things aren't there, then I really will, I'm not really concerned about anything else because um, you know, if, if those three things aren't there, then they're not going to be able to, to find success when things get really, really difficult and really, really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's always a moment where uh, the night is darkest just before the dawn. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Know, you, have to, you have to have something inside you that is <laughs> almost irrational that conviction and passion that you know that you can continue to keep going. Uh, fire, and it's, yeah. it's not just that it can be faked. So uh, yeah. I would say that, you know, live with passion, with truth and conviction. I think it's solid advice, really. Yeah, and if you're looking to enter the uh, you know prize, I would go back and re-listen to those three things and make sure you have them you know moving forward so you can win this great <laughs> prize from Rick. <laughs> you got it, you got it, and you know the twenty five k is really just to make sure that you're taken care of while we develop the product that we can put on on all the shelves. You know, the clear is distributed into eight states right now, and uh, you know we're on over a thousand shelves of dispensaries. So, um, you know we're we have a very uh, simple model, which is put the clear on the shelf and then expand the product line. So you know, if you think you have one of the products that we that should be on shelves and dispensaries next to the clear, you better show up in May. <laughs> Let's do it. We plan, it. we plan on being there. So come hang out with those guys and uh, we'll cheer you absolutely, on as you pitch your products. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so grateful for you guys had me on and uh, I'm, I'm really, uh, really happy to chat with you guys. You guys have been doing a great job. I, I went and listened to a few of your podcasts uh, in preparation for this, so I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing and your dispensing it. So I'm, uh, I'm I'm here to help. 
Well, thank you. We really appreciate that and all the advice and you know information you provided to our listeners today. It's very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think what you're doing is very keen in the industry. And I think it's it's a logical next step for a lot of these companies um, and a lot of the passions and the souls and all the you know the hard work that a lot of these people have put in. I don't think it should all just go to waste. I think that there's an opportunity um, globally, nationally, multi-states, whatever. And I'm happy that somebody like yourself is, uh, is stepping into the ring um, to help some of these business owners to expand their product line. I think it's pretty awesome, really. Well, I, I aim to please, my friend. We are, we are selling you for you. I know in certain terms. <laughs> cool. All right, Rick. Well, thanks so much. Um, and with that, you guys, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Using the knowledge they gained in the pharmaceutical industry, Vera Health is transforming the CBD space with products that actually work. With their scientific formulations and a world-class team, Vera Health creates CBD products with superior bioavailability for endocannabinoid system support. Vera Health products include CBD oral micromist sprays, CBD topical salves, and CBD soft gel capsules. See what everyone is talking about and try for yourself at www.verahealth.com. Vera, because it works.